Welcome to Centering, the podcast on Asian American Christianity, a conversation centering Christ and Asian American perspectives, featuring Daniel Lee, theology and ministry professor at Fuller Seminary. Hey, podcast friends, welcome to another episode of Centering, the podcast on Asian American Christianity. We appreciate you tuning in. I'm your host, Kevin Doy. If you've been a regular listener, please let us know how we're doing. We'd love to hear from you. If you find this podcast helpful, please invite your friends to listen in as well. If you're tuning in for the first time, great to have you. Today I'm with Daniel Lee, Professor of Theology and Ministry at Fuller Seminary. And we're asking a question today about Asian Americans, which on the surface seems easy enough to answer. But if you've ever tried to answer the question, what is Asian American? You know how difficult this question is to navigate and to nail down. And so we'd like to address what is Asian American? It's very core to, I think, understanding who we are and our identity, but also how we think about ministry. So Daniel, let's just jump right into that question. Why is the question of what is Asian American so difficult to answer? Why is it so fraught with complexity? Uh, the reason is that the word Asian American for a lot of people is it's kind of being projected upon them. This is not how a lot of times they would describe themselves. They would describe themselves ethnically, like I'm a Korean American, Chinese American. And to some degree, I think Asian American term can just be used as an umbrella term, right? We're, we're all Asian American to some degree. But people don't understand the historical roots of that, right? Asian American, in terms of term, is actually a political activist category, right? They, they both developed like 50 years ago. Asian American studies and Asian American kind of movement. So if you don't understand the history, you might be like, oh yeah, I'm Asian American, but we don't understand the full implications of that. It's a racial category. It's a political category. And without history, it's really incomprehensible. We talk about the fact that Asian American identity has been here for 150 years, but a lot of Asian Americans might be like, well, my family goes back only 30 years. Well, what does that mean? Hmm. I would say they're both important, but in slightly different ways. And so it's, it's really important to understand history and where it comes from to hmm. understand this correctly. Otherwise, you really would just be lost. So I know that some Asian Americans readily identify, not only with their kind of ethnic background, but being Asian American, and I know that it can be more difficult for recent Asians to our country to uh, realize that they are seen by the majority world kind of as an Asian American. And it's actually a very new experience and dynamic for them. Can you speak to that uh, a bit? This is the analogy, right? Because part of this has to do with the process of racialization and the fact that America as a society and historically has organized itself racially. Now, it doesn't mean that we're going to talk about race, uh, culture as well and heritage and all that stuff, but it's like how a Nigerian immigrant right, might be like, well, I'm African-American. Actually, I'm Nigerian-American. I'm actually Nigerian living in America. I'm not black. Yeah. But a couple of generations later, or even like you know, 20 years afterwards, or even 10 years afterwards, maybe even a couple of months afterwards, you realize, oh my gosh, I'm black. Mm. I've become black. Mm. That's how America organizes itself. And to some degree, different, part, different nations around the world uh, do this organization differently, right? But America has this very deeply rooted racial categorization that's actually very distinct. And the categories are, to some degree, not as porous. You can't go back and forth, right? Another nation around the world is South Africa, right? They have this black, colored, and white categories, which is 
artificial, but historically, from the perspective of South Africans, it makes sense. Mm. Now, and that's how they, how they privilege people, how they oppress people as well. And America, in that sense, has the same kind of history. If you don't understand the history, it's literally incomprehensible. Mm. We don't know what we're talking about. We say, oh, of course, we're Asian American, but we don't know what the full meaning of that is. Mm. And it's really important to understand that because if you don't, we're talking purely anecdotally. And that doesn't really give us any concrete ways of kind of grabbing onto this concept. I know that you mentioned the importance of history, and I know that in many ways, kind of dominant culture has racialized uh, different groups of people based on similarities, um, cultural and physical similarities here in our country. And yet, uh, in the 1960s, as you refer to, there was a movement among Asian Americans to identify as such. Can you speak to that? Because I think racialization is often seen as more of a negative dynamic, and yet there were some like very positive movements towards being identified as Asian American uh, out of the civil rights movement. Yeah, you know, so this year we're actually celebrating the fifth, uh, 50 years, right, uh, since the Third World uh, Liberation Front from 1968. That's basically when, really, around that time when there were protests over at Berkeley and San Francisco State, that's basically when the word Asian American and the coalition building around that time kind of developed, right? Before Asian Americans, for a lot of them, East Asian Americans, they were called Orientals. But they actually had a lot of colonial and kind of racist roots. So it was actually a way of kind of mobilizing people, right? And these are all kind of very political ways, right? But that's actually the history of that. Now the question is, how do we make sense of that theologically and spiritually? Because that's what we're trying to get to. We're trying to get back to saying, well, okay, what does this mean in light of my faith? But historically, that's where it comes from. And then from there on, people have looked back and said, wait a minute, Asian Americans in that sense have been here for a long time. So it's almost as though Asian American identity started 50 years ago, and then they look back and they realize, oh, we've been here for 150 years, right? And that's a weird way of thinking about it. That's one, of the, but if you don't think of it in that order, the fifty years ago, and then looking back, you know, when first Asian Americans, like Chinese immigrants, came out, or even Filipino, right, uh, sailors came, they weren't thinking that they were Asian American. No such thing existed. But uh, you create a coherent history by looking back, and that's how you can understand uh, this sense of Asian American identity, and that's why it goes back one hundred and fifty years. Well, it's powerful because I think about how. Although I'm a third generation Japanese American, understanding like Chinese history in this country is also my history in a sense, right? Because I'm Asian American. Now, I want to move us forward because you've created a conceptual framework here at Fuller um, to help us think about and parse out what it means to be Asian American that I find very, very helpful. So, can you share what those aspects are and then we'll kind of explore each one of those a little bit so the, the story is i was talking to one of the professors here when i was a student and the professor said what is asian american i mean you really can't define that thing and i was really frustrated i said no we have a distinct experience it's not just generally the fact that just people from asia asia is so big what does that mean and as you know unlike uh black Americans or like this idea of blackness or African Americans. So they, they share they share a race, right? Or racial phenotype, right? What what they look like. Mm. 
Hispanics don't share that actually, but they do share sometimes a language or even history of being mestizo, mm. right? Uh, this idea of kind of Portuguese and, and Spanish colonization. What do Asian Americans share? There are some of us who are, I guess, so-called yellow, which is kind of racial, <laughs> racist, or, or, but there are a lot of us who are brown. We don't share a language. We don't share uh, a history of colonization by the West. We don't share even culture heritage, even migration experience. But what I realized is that all of us live at the intersection, at least of four things, right? We live at the intersection of Asian heritage. We have some, all of us to some degree have, have some kind of Asian heritage, uh, cultural, religious heritage. And so the specifics of that vary, but it's some kind of an Asian heritage. It doesn't matter what generation you are, right? Distant past, it's somewhere there. All of us came over, I mean, this is like the same for everybody else in America, but we came over somehow. We share some kind of a migration history, right? And also we, we experience, in one sense, how American culture has perceived us in a world a part of American culture. And then we actually have this experience of racialization. So the four things are Asian heritage, migration experience, American culture in the sense that we that's part of who we are and also we have to deal with how America perceives us and then racialization. We have a particular uh, what they call phenotype, right? What we look like that we you know, or a racial uniform is how people have described it. These four things, Asian heritage, migration, American culture and racialization, we've developed that as the Asian American quadrilateral. All Asian Americans live at the intersection of these four things. Mm. So Having these four categories to help us understand our experience, it allows both for some commonality of which we can talk about, but it also allows room for uh, specificity as well, which I love. Can you can you share a little bit more as we delve deeper into the quadrilateral? Like, how does this work exactly? How why is this helpful? Imagine yourself, and this is an analogy I use on a regular basis, imagine, imagine yourself as like a fish swimming in water. Mm. Now, fish swimming in water, if you grew up in that water, there's no way to know the quarry of that water. Maybe it's murky, maybe it's polluted, maybe it's got all kinds of, maybe it's very rich. You have no idea. You can't articulate the, 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 the water you, which, you, which, in, which in which you swim because, like I said, you've, have it, you've had it around with you all, all your life. And actually, because you breathe it in, you breathe it out, it's literally become part of who you are. How do you name that water, right? If you can't name it, it's absolutely invisible and you don't know how it's impacting you. I think what we're saying is we are trying to help you name the water. We're trying to help you what's in the water, how it impacts you. And uh, there's a concept in cognitive science called uh, linguistic um, relativity, right? But the idea is the fact that you don't process your experience directly, right? You don't, you don't say, well, this is my experience. You, what's happening is you, have, you experience something and you filter it, you give it names, and then your brain processes what you've experienced. If you don't have names for certain things, your brain says, well, it didn't happen. Mm. It, it doesn't exist. Mm. I mean, it's really interesting when you think about a, a neuroscience that our brain filters on a regular basis what's relevant for memory and what's not. So if it's not really useful, then you kind of just erase it, right? right? But also, if you have no name for it, then it doesn't exist. Mm. What I'm saying is there are certain experiences that we have, we have no names for, so it doesn't register. It doesn't exist. Now, it might be a real experience, but we have no name for it. That's a simple example. So one student uh, in my class said, well, I've never faced racism. 
when I was growing up. I mean, somebody when I was growing up, people call me chink and stuff, but that's not racism. And the whole class sat there and said, ah. <laughs> we sat there and said, and of course, we had to kind of, you know, walk the student through and say, let me introduce a term called microaggression. And the, when, when the student learned it, he said, oh my goodness, I, I, I realized I faced racism all my life. Now, how does that change your perception of your past and your experience? That's linguistic relativity. Based on the words you have, you realize, oh, I, I totally misunderstood or misinterpreted what, what my life was about. And then your sense of self can shift over as well based on the fact that you see something now that was actually always there. Mm-hmm. You had no word for it. I'm not talking about the fact that we're making stuff up. We're just saying how you understood and recalled your memory is very, very different than what you thought it really was. I think that example too, at least I'm drawing some, some direct lines and connections between language and the ability to name our experience um, as Asian Americans. And really our discipleship, our development as people as human beings. I think about children who have don't have the vocabulary as you would expect someone much older to have. And so if you're stuck in second grade vocabulary as an adult, there's something developmentally stuck about your experience. And I, I've had many conversations about what does ethnic identity, uh, ethnic identity development have to do with being a Christian? There's, they seem to be separate things. But you're saying the actual the ability to name our experience as ethnic people, as racial people, is part and parcel to our discipleship. You know, what we really want, what do we really want in discipleship? We want all of ourselves to be under God's Lordship, Christ's Lordship. We want, we want all of ourselves to be uh, used for God's purposes, for God's kingdom work. That's what we really want. But there are so many aspects of our lives that we have no words for. Now, well, actually, let's just break this down. There are certain aspects of our lives we have a lot of words for. We actually have a graduate level degree, right, mm-hmm. on, on that experience, or even high school level degree, because we learned it we went through educational, you know, our, our educational system. But there are certain other aspects of our lives we literally babble. Like when we talk about Asian heritage, we say, oh, that's, let's say that's, that's Koreanness. Well, what is Korea? I mean, that, that's babbling. It's literally like second, like, Forget second grade. We're talking about like toddlers, you know, dada, right? Well, that's that's baba, that's pee-pee. I mean, that's actually how we talk about these things. We don't actually have any word to articulate certain aspects of our experience. Why? Because we have a mainstream white education that serves those kind of people. Even like in terms of how American society, even the Western culture has uh, framed and interpreted Asians and Asian experience, we have no words for that unless you did like Asian American studies. So we might say, even say, well, we're, we're Asian, right? But if you have college level words, we talk about white normativity, we talk about pro- historical process of racialization, we talk about where the racial categories develop, then we actually have a lot more articulate words. That's what we don't have. And therefore, when we try to bring those things under the Lordship of Christ, we say, well, I'm going to bring Baba under the Lordship of Christ. That's not going to help us. We have no idea what to do with that. That's what we're talking about. We need words. We need words to articulate. And actually, those words give us a better reflection about reality. Our reality, it's almost as though we see certain things very in, in HD and other words, like literally even worse than black and white. 
like it's just totally dark sometimes at certain aspects of our lives so if certain things hurt we say well that thing hurts where my tummy hurts well does your tummy hurt or do you have liver cancer right that's what we're talking about and that's the importance of words so I want to um, get real practical here uh, near the end of our episode. So we have this quadrilateral. It helps us to see and gives us language. For someone who's not, a student's not able to take your, your class here where you explore this more, how, how do you envision Christians, pastors, leaders, churches using the quadrilateral? Like what, what are some practical outcomes and fruit that, that you hope might come about from people using this tool, really. Yeah, I think, what, what, let's continue on with the analogy of, uh, of a doctor, right? So if you have a scalpel, every, you're going to try to do surgery on everything. But it might not be surgery. You might, you might have to do it through diet, or you, it might be an issue of, of exercise. So I think this is what the idea is, having multiple tools. Let's take, for example, intergenerational conflict. People like to call intergenerational conflict issue about cultural difference that's one lens right mm. and you say well here's you know white american culture and confucianism and confucianism is hierarchical white american culture and whatnot right but there are actually other lenses right they're actually lens of migration and the fact that immigration experience ends up having kind of a tumultuous impact in our families so is that what's happening is it cultural mm. is it about migration or maybe it's about American culture, right? The fact that American culture deeply has a problem with individualism and it just has a hard time seeing communal life. Or is it really about racialization? Is it the fact that uh, the younger generation really don't want to be Asian? Mm-hmm. And a way of seeing parents is the fact that's the connection to our Asianness. I don't like being Asian. And of course, the older generation might be like, I face so much racism, but I can't articulate it. And my kids don't respect me like how the world doesn't respect me. And then you take the dump it on the kids. What's really happening? We don't know. Mm. And if you only have one tool, you're going to blame Confucianism for everything, which is very typical. But there might be different things that are happening here. So tools to deal with things, complex problems in a complex way, instead of simplifying it and dumbing it down wrongly. Um, I believe in your class that teaches on the quadrilateral, you have students construct or reconstruct their their narrative their story using the quadrilateral is that is that something that listeners can do and if that's true where, where would you have people start well i think one of the things that that you would have to do is to have enough vocabulary so you can think about the quadrilateral as basically like these four bins there's going to be all this information about your life and all these tools you want to continue gather right information and tools and put them in bins and then you realize that the fact that certain bins you actually have no tools and so you want to actually have enough tools in every bin and then use those things and what i would say is that when you use those tools to think back upon your life you might realize that you it gives you a different lens to tell your story different words to tell your story and because we are, our sense of identity comes from our story. If your story changes, then your sense of being changes as well, mm. right? And that's what we're seeing over and over again in class. People's sense of identity shifts over because they realize, oh, I just didn't realize the fact that this impact 
this aspect of my life was that big. But now that I have words for it, I see it everywhere. Mm. Before, I didn't even know that was a thing. Mm. That's what we're talking about. And then you can now bring the gospel message. Is gospel message going to heal? Is it going to be challenged? But if you don't even know that was a thing, then the gospel doesn't engage that. So Danny, that's, that's so powerful. The whole understanding of growth and being able to own more of who we are and allow God to, to love us in those places and to feel more integrated as people. So I want to I want to thank you for helping us to understand what it means to be Asian American. I thank you for the quadrilateral. I think it's a real gift to the church. So thank you uh, for giving us that gift. As we wrap up here, can you leave our listeners with a, a word of encouragement along these lines of being able to see and identity and kind of the importance of being able to think deeply about and embrace what it means to be Asian American. Like how Jesus heals the eyes of the blind man. I believe God's drawing all of us to heal our eyes, see the world around us and see our lives in a different light. And that's good news because then all of ourselves once again can be healed and used for God's kingdom. We're creating a community here at Centering, so we invite you to join the conversation by sending us your comments and questions at centeringpodcast at gmail.com or visit our website at centered.today for a list of shows and other resources. This episode of Centering the Podcast on Asian American Christianity is produced by Jason Chu. Editing is by Carl Cathedral with music by Mark Redito. I'm your host, Kevin Doy. Above all else, we want to remind you that God embraces all of who you are.